Trustworthy Weekly, delivering the best of humanity every Saturday. Here's your hosts, Allison Rosen and Todd Perry. Hello, everybody. It's Upworthy Weekly, and uh, my name is Todd Perry, and with me is the great Allison Rosen. You know Allison is the host of the super popular podcast, Allison Rosen is Your New Best Friend, and Childish with the co-host Greg Fitzsimmons. You also know that she was on the Adam Carolla Show for a long time. She was on uh, Comedy Central's At Midnight. My name is Todd Perry. I'm a staff writer here at Upworthy. And I was thinking, because you have all these credits, you have all these accolades, you know. Thank uh, you. You know, but me, I think I deserve a title of being like the king of good news. <laughs> right. And you gave this to yourself, right? Yeah, like Michael Jackson was the self-proclaimed king of pop. Right. right. I want to be the king of good news because like it's just it's just kind of basic math. Right. Like uh, there's like three main staff writers at Upworthy. I'm the only male that makes me the king. Yeah. And Annie would be the queen because she's been sure. here longer than the other gal. Heather would be like the princess of good news. Right. So, you know, when people see me coming, you know. Hey, it's the king of good news. And I come by and, you know, I'll just give people like a little like, hey, uh, somebody bought a free uh, Starbucks for somebody up the street over there on spring three weeks ago. Read all about it, you know. Yeah. And then they'll be like, that guy. No wonder he's the king of good news. I think you need to run this princess queen situation by Annie and Heather. They might have thoughts, but I am all for this. I was also thinking like Howard Stern, king of all media, right? That's Gave right. that to himself. That's right. But if you're the king of good news, what if something bad happens to you? Do you think you're not? Because it'll be off brand if you talk about it. Ah, that's true. That's true. But no, normally I could just spin it into something I've overcome. <laughs> you know, you find the right. hero. You're like, well, Todd, yeah. you know, Todd was hit by, a, you know, a Land Rover the other day. But he's recuperating well. He's been a, uh, the greatest patient of all time. Right. And it's like, the thing is, he had two legs. So. Right. He doesn't, he didn't, he had a spare. Um, I, I, this is a classic king of good news spin on the situation that you're finding the silver lining. However, I do think that that could become cumbersome to be known as Mr. Good News because then you have to be positive all the time. And I get that you're saying, like, that's good. And maybe it is. That would be hard for me. I mean, but I'm a pretty sunshiny guy. Okay. Yeah, I see that. Then think about it this way. When the king of good news is bummed out about something, it's got to be horrifying, right? Like, if you see me and I start welling up, it's like, oh, no. Todd, you know, the king here is in really bad shape. Like, he's he doesn't just... (laughs) cry all the time right people would actually take my emotions seriously for the first time in my life is what i'm saying allison uh they would see me as a a full three-dimensional being versus just i see you as something of a cartoon that's right it it would humanize me in many ways if i adopt this uh name the king of goodness regal title so allison uh you have any good news over there on your docket here? Maybe I, I can- sure do. I've got three great stories. Uh, I'm not the I'm the well on my pod. My other podcast, we call me the queen of segways because okay. you've never seen someone segue into a, a sponsor read like me. But just real fast. Do I mean, before we get into that, do you not ever feel the urge to complain about dumb stuff? You're saying you're a positive person and this seems true. But like I sent an email to someone with two questions and they responded and only answered the first question. And that was enough for me to be like, oh, 
Well, it's is just that not a thing that the king would would deign to be bothered by? No, I don't think anytime soon you'd even reach like the baroness of good news <laughs> or no. the lady. I'm the of Duchess good news. of Grumpy. Yes, the Duchess of Grump. Grump. What would what should I be? The Duchess of Discontent. Oh, I like that. That's you know the the Dowager Duchess of Discontent. <laughs> you just basically be the Maggie Smith of the show. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that, but we'll talk. Listen, Todd, do you share the same fantasy I have that there's some small change you could make, some new habit you could develop that might revolutionize your life? There's this book called Atomic Habits that I feel like I uh, read about all the time. I read about it so much that I actually have it as an audiobook, but I think because if I listen to it, I'll be forced to make changes. I just haven't gotten through it. But anyway, the author of Atomic Habits says, your outcomes are a lagging measure of your habits. You get what you repeat. In other words, if you want to predict where your life is leading, take a look at your daily choices. Small incremental changes can have enormous impacts on our life. A Reddit poster recently said, what improved your quality of life so much you wished you did it sooner? And uh, we... And by that, I mean Heather Wake, who wrote a story about this on Wednesday, rounded up the highlights. The headline of this story is people shared the small changes they made that improved their lives in big ways. So here are some of the small changes. And some of these are there are things where it's like, oh, I had been hearing about that for so long. Why didn't I do it sooner? One of them is swimming for back pain. Apparently, it's like really helps. It's soothing and it also helps you build strength in the muscles that'll make your back feel better. Um, Here's one, managing road rage. So instead of feeling like it's a contest, instead of taking it personally when someone swerves in front of you or cuts you off, just stop. Stop. Don't even engage. Don't take it personally. Just let them. You'll be, you know, 15 seconds later and totally happier. Uh, I kind of don't get road rage. Unless somebody puts you put your life in danger or your family's life in danger, because again, like to fall victim to road rage, it means you have to take it personally, mm-hmm. you know. And I've never ever been driving and be like, "Oh, I'm going to cut that Civic off," you know, and been like real personable about yeah. it when I made a dumb driving decision. And I don't, I don't think anyone does unless they're one of these guys that you know is into drifting or something, and they want right. to screw with you on the highway. Right. I am not. I think I'm the person that people get road rage at because I can be a, a, a extra cautious driver. I just feel like it's never worth it to take a risk. Um, but when someone honks at me in an aggressive way or like shakes their, you know, or give, uh, uses their hand to say something unkind to me, then I'm like, well, now I want to chase you down. Then all of a sudden I turn, I don't even know who I become and I don't ever do anything about it, but I just like, I seethe. So I guess I need to make a change too. Okay. Setting boundaries. Uh, the one, the person who suggested this says, I used to feel like I had to hang out with people when they asked and as an introvert would resent losing my me time. Now I'm just honest with people and say I'm tired or that I had a long weekend of great British bake-off and dog snuggles that I was really looking forward to might sound lame, but I'm 150% happier. This is one that I struggle with. And my friend Izzy, whom I've mentioned before, the one who we're going to grow old together in a garden, just a random person's garden in our rocking chairs. She'll just say like, oh, I was, you know, 
I was really looking forward to going to bed early or something. And she'll just back out of plans that way. And I never take it personally. And I always admire that. Whereas I do feel like if someone suggests something, they're going to take it personally if I don't. So I, I, I never feel comfortable just saying, oh, I'm just really tired. Yeah, I feel like I have to load up a really huge excuse. Yes. But I think that both of us are kind of people pleasers mm-hmm. a bit. And uh, it's harder for us to say no. Right. Is things. that going to threaten your reign as king? Because I feel like you need to have good boundaries if you're going to rule the people. Well, no, I mean, just if I'm going to preserve my happy-go-lucky state, if I've right. got everybody trying to, to get their pound of flesh off the king, then it's going to become a problem. And then the king's going to need to get aggressive. You know, I'm going to have yeah. to wall myself off. Right. Uh, I'm going to have to surround myself with nothing but yes men. You know, it, it, then I'm going to end up being like Elvis. You know, I'm going to need like a Memphis mafia of, of mm-hmm. bad news to surround the good <laughs> news in the in the milky center. I'm beginning to, I'm beginning to think this might not be a good idea I, for I'm thinking, you to hold court like this. By the end of the show, I'm going to be Stalin, you know? <laughs> I don't, I don't, wow. Absolute power does corrupt absolutely. Uh, a couple more quick ones. Opting for positive content. Here's one that I like. Uh, someone stopped listening to true crime. Because they found it made them fearful, less empathetic, and more judgmental. Uh, the content encouraged a negative thought spirals and called it awareness. And then here are some, you know, ones that we know. I mean, we know about practicing gratitude. Okay. Uh, and then also decluttering. Just 10 to 15 minutes a day can keep things fairly tidy, apparently. I struggle with that one. You know, something I learned the other day that was... Uh... It was one of the guys at uh, Upworthy, a guy named Eric, and he had learned this from Annie, the queen of good news. Yes, and, I've, heard of, I've heard of her. Yeah, this was a conversation we were having, and this really, this small piece of information really changed how I relate to some people in this world. And I think given the fact that you also have the people-pleasing gene, it might help mm-hmm. you out. Uh, there's two kind of people in this world, which obviously there aren't, but according to this theory... <laughs> <laughs> there, there are two people, uh, two types of people in this world. There's askers and there's guessers. Oh, have you heard of this? No. Heard about this, Paul? You heard about this? No. So, if like I feel that you and I are probably two people who are guessers, where mm-hmm. we'd only ask something of somebody if we were like eighty percent sure that they'd be in with it, and we wouldn't be imposing on them. Yes. If you're asking for like a favor or somebody to do something like, again, to ask you to do this show, there was like an intermediary and like a note was passed and the whole thing. So everyone could save face. Right. And if I understand correctly, you almost didn't even you almost just just didn't even because you thought it would be imposing. Yes. (laughs) I'm so glad. I'm so glad that our intermediary pushed you. Yeah, and and that's me because I'm like the ultimate guesser. But Mm -hmm. there's a whole bunch of people that the guessers cannot even fathom called askers who are people who will just ask, not even even thinking you'll say yes. Like, the I'm just going to throw it out there types. And these people are very confusing to us. And I know I'm putting words in your mouth, but it's very confusing to me that someone would just go for a big ask that they don't think they're going to get a yes for. And maybe that right. because I'm insecure or I, I don't know. Well, I think it's because if someone does a big ask to us, we f- don't always feel like we have the right to say no. So we don't want to put someone else in that position. Yeah, we think they considered it when really they're just throwing it out there. It's like right. the boss, it's like, hey, uh, why don't you come in on Saturday? 
And you're like, well, maybe I should because obviously he mm-hmm. thought this through and thought there was an 80% chance I'd say yes. And then right. we end up coming in and the guy's like, wow, what a thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, this is something that I work on in therapy because I think the correct, or rather correct is too strong, but the a healthy mindset, a healthy way of looking at this is someone can ask whatever they want and you have the right to say yes or no. And but that's not that doesn't come natural naturally to me like at all. Yeah, me neither. Uh, I I need your therapist. Can we can we like <laughs> this might that's be a, a big ask. Might be a big ask. Yeah, I'll just sit there and like glean off. Like I'll pay thirty five percent. You know, maybe pay the copay. <laughs> um. Oh, how funny to think that <laughs> any therapist takes insurance these days. Uh-huh. Um. But yes, I'll 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 pass along choice morsels to you. Now to some verified good news from the king of good news. <laughs> SNL's Man Park skit has sparked an important conversation about how men handle loneliness. This is by Heather Wake, the princess of good news. Uh, and there's a line in the bit that says, it's not their fault masculinity makes intimacy so hard. This was a line from a recent SNL sketch aptly titled Man Park. The premise? A girlfriend is so concerned that her male partner has no friends, she takes him to a man park to socialize, much like one would a dog. And a uh, Avram Weiss a doctor wrote a brilliant article on the subject in Psychology Today and pointed out how in heterosexual relationships, men often rely on their female partners to maintain their friendships. Add to that a culturally taught association between vulnerability and weakness, and it's no wonder that so many men find themselves lost. And so a guy wrote a book called We Need to Hang Out, and he's become kind of an expert in male friendships. And he says the way to solve this is to pick like one day a week, like this is my Wednesday, and this is when I will go out and be social with other friends. Um, And it says, you know, it's obviously an important thing for men not to be lonely. Uh, and so as a man who is 44 years of age, I do see that obviously, and we've, we've made that a theme on the show that it does get harder to make friends when mm-hmm. you get older. And I was right. talking last week about how, uh, my new buddy, Chris, uh, I met on How's the golf course. How's that going? Well, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna text him next week to come golf. So we'll, we'll see. Nice. You know. Uh, but yeah, I've seen this happen as I've gotten older with some guys who are my friends that I see rather often. And then I notice they never have any stories of like, Oh, I was hanging out with, it's just like, I start thinking, am I the only guy you hang out with? Not, Mm. not being judgmental or whatever, but maybe some guys are just like, "Ah, I'm not going to deal with that many people or just, they've lost that. uh, They've not kept up with people because they're focused on their careers or their wives Mm. and children and, and all that. So do you find that in any way with your husband, Daniel, that you try to help him keep up his social relationships or he's pretty good with that himself? Uh, he is not particularly great at that. In fact, if uh, if if he were talking about uh, things he wishes he could change about himself, he would definitely mention he wishes he were better about maintaining friendships because he has a, a, a good group of friends that he, you know, they, they all have kids now and he feels like he's just really bad about keeping in touch. Like they're all not, they, they check in periodically, but they don't have a regular hangout or a regular social thing. And I will encourage him much like this 
sketch, the skit, which was so funny, the man park thing, uh, I will encourage him, you know, no, take time, go meet your friend outside somewhere, go, uh, go do, do that. It'll be good for you. Um, I'm kind of guilty of this as well, though. I don't, uh, I'm not as, I'm not social as often as would be good for me. I just find it easy, especially now in, in our connected world where there's a whole bunch of people we don't know really well that we're communicating with all the time on social media. Um, but then like actual people who you're close to in real life, I find I, there's texting, but that's not the same. Right. I, I, I relate to the men in this sketch a bit. I relate to both, both. Yeah. I, I see it happening and I've, but I've tried really hard not to be that way. So I have my regular, you know, my regular golf time. And I've got like the buddy I go over and go play guitar with. And, you know, a couple people that are just drinking buddies. And it's just like, you know, let's go hit the bar. How does this work, though? Because you and your wife have a child. Basically, it's kind of like once the kid goes to sleep, I could do what I want. You know, mm-hmm. he's asleep. You know, what, what's he going to do? So as long as I'm not out till like three in the morning, you know, as long as I'm not walking in in a tuxedo during breakfast to go and ring a ding ding, <laughs> you know, like Dean Martin or something. It, it's OK. This next story is wild and heartwarming and definitely makes me feel like I'm not doing enough. And I know you're a good person. You're the king of good news, but I feel like you're not at this level either. So the headline is loyal customer surprises favorite Duncan employee with a fully furnished house after she was evicted. And it ran on Tuesday and it's by Jissa Joseph. So Suzanne Burke had been going to Dunkin Donuts drive through. It was a Dunkin Donuts drive through in Ohio every morning for years for her morning morning coffee. And she developed a friendship with an employee named Ebony Johnson. Suzanne was worried when Ebony was gone for a few weeks and she reached out and found out that Ebony and her three children had been evicted. So she did what none of us would have done in that situation. (laughs) She reached out to local organizations and designers and got Johnson a fully furnished home in time for the holidays. And wow. I encourage everyone to go look at the story because there's video included in it of uh, Ebony Johnson and her children walking into the house and seeing it. And the house looks really good. There was a group of designers and local organizations who provide assistance um, and like a furniture bank where furniture is available free of charge for people in need. The home looks more uh like on trend than my home not that my home is very not on trend but i'm just saying it looks really good uh and um and ebony said the lord really looked out for me because i kept praying and saying could i be at home before christmas there's oh. a christmas tree in the house it's a real tearjerker but very sweet and kudos to suzanne i don't think i would even know how to begin to give someone a house uh, and also it's a weird ask can i buy you a house <laughs> right as a guesser, I'd be like, I don't know. Yeah. Would they feel like bad if I bought them? A ha- Not that I have like buying randos houses money, mm-hmm. but yeah, that would be kind of uncomfortable. I think the great thing Suzanne did here was, which is a, a lesson for all of us who may not have just buying randos houses money is right. She figured out. I don't out- think she bought it though. She, uh, maybe this is the point you're going to make. I don't think she bought it for her. She facilitated uh, the arrangement for it. Correct. Yeah, she was knowledgeable of all the different agencies around her right. area that were doing things and was able to coordinate them together together to help her out. Like, I think that's the win. You know, we all have, you know, whether people have money or don't have money, everybody has, 
you know, the ability to kind of mm-hmm. to know what's going on in their community and, you know, help people out with it. I think that's the kind of the greatest story of it is she was able to pull the correct resources to really yeah. change someone's life. It's really beautiful. I think it's also really cool that even though the relationship was, you know, she works somewhere where I frequent, it was like a customer mm-hmm. server relationship, that didn't change how she felt about her. She still saw her as a human being, right? Yes. Yes. And sometimes it's weird, like, this sounds like a detour, but it's not. But like at my local what? Stater Brothers, there's a guy there named Eddie, the manager. And me and Eddie would always joke around. You see this, all my socializing just happens at like wherever I go to shop. Mm-hmm. But and Eddie, at a certain point, because I would always buy uh, Bud Light Platinum beer because 6% alcohol, low calories. Mm-hmm. So it's the maximum amount of buzz per, yeah. um, per right. uh, you know, so you don't get too big of a gut. So he joking. Yeah. L- look out, Bethany Frankel, skinny girl. <laughs> Todd Perry's coming for you. So Eddie would always call me Platinum when I'd walk into the store and <laughs> call my son Platinum Jr. Oh, that's so cute. I know. But then they transferred him to another Stater Brothers. But we're friends. Now, how, do you find, how do you find that out? Did he I, tell you or did you ask, hey, where's Eddie? Platinum and Platinum Jr. want to know? Yeah, I asked around and they said he got transferred. I said, where are they? I don't know. My producer on Alice and Rose's Your Best Friend, Tony, you might know this, has given himself the title, and it was sarcastic, but he gave himself the title Bad Boy of Podcasting, mm. and I give him S for that all the time, and so I'm sorry. I feel that I'm not going to be able to gently and maturely adjust to you being the king of good news. It's going to be a thing. It's going to be a thing between us. Is it just because you don't respect the crown? <laughs> I guess it is. You will not kneel before the crown is what you're saying? I guess it is. I guess I have a problem with authority. It's time to rate your week. Have something great happen this week that you just have to share with the world? Tell us about it by emailing us at upworthyweekly at upworthy.com. I'm wondering how your week was on a scale of one to five, one being bad, five being great. Well, uh, to rate my week, I'm going to give it, you know, actually it was a three, but it just got downgraded to a two earlier today. Uh, started off really good. Uh, we got two new toilets in my house. Uh, we had we had bad toilets, um, and you don't know what it's like to have two bad toilets in a house. And uh, congrats! So that was the great. Dream. Yeah, it was feeling good. You know, this week I'm starting to feel like anxious and that like Christmas season anxiety mm-hmm. because now it's becoming there's too much stuff going on. You know, yeah. it's like you got to go to the party and then you got to go to the uh, menorah lighting and then you got to go caroling and then you got to go bobsledding. You know, all the different Christmas things are now piling up and I'm starting mm-hmm. to get a little uh, like edgy. Yeah, it becomes too much. You get tugged in too many different ways, you know. And and then today, uh, one of the monkeys died, Mike Nesmith, who I just loved to death. And the monkeys like my favorite show as a kid. And I loved his solo work in the first national band. So I am, and I just saw him three weeks ago play at the Greek Theater. So I'm bummed out that a great man was lost today, Mike Nesmith. So that took down my day from average to below average. 
You go bobsledding and caroling? Sure. <laughs> okay. Sure. I see that those were placeholder Christmassy activities more than things that you actually do in Southern California. Yeah, it's a little tough to do the bobsled around yeah. here, but you know. Right. Our traditional, we're going to go luging and mushing tonight. Oh, very nice. Uh, I was going to go curling, actually, with the boys this evening. <laughs> right. Going to have some um, yeah. Bud Light Platinums and curl. Uh, <laughs> Are you a better person than you were last week? Uh, actually, I'm a better person because I'm a survivor. Uh, I don't know if you and your friend group is doing this this holiday season, but right now it's Whamageddon. Oh, wow. No, Have you heard about we, this? W- my friend group has fallen asleep at the wheel because we don't celebrate Whamageddon. So Whamageddon is everybody puts money in. like There's like 11 different couples, and everybody puts in money into a pot. And then once somebody hears Last Christmas by Wham, <laughs> you're out. So my Oh, like master of your domain, but, but not for that. Yeah, but less fun. Uh, well, you know who... <laughs> Who was ma- wasn't master of his own domain, George Michael? Right. <laughs> uh, my wife was out uh, within two days because she loves listening to Coast FM. Uh, to Coast, so it's his honor system, right? Yeah, you got to admit it. You know, and maybe if you're not, you know, playing fairly, then you're not going to be invited to Whamageddon next year. But right. Right. The, the winner gets to take the pot and donate it to their favorite charity. So I'm actually going strong about nine days into Whamageddon. So Good I'm a job. I'm a better person because I haven't gotten whammied and I'm doing it for charity. Allison, rate your week one to five. I'm going to give this week <clears throat> a three. It was a pretty good week. Um, I and all the Christmassy stuff piling up. I enjoy that. It, there's not that much, actually, but there's d- different activities that we're going to do. Um, and after being locked down, shut down, whatever the right term is for where we are at this point for so long, because I have two little kids, um, it's it's nice to be slowly getting out there. And I'm just such a glutton for Christmas. I just love everything about it and decorating and the music, the good music, which is most all of it, <laughs> but not that Mariah Carey song. Um, I like that it's finally getting cold. The downside, the reason it's a three and not a five, was I took, um, and everything's fine, but I took my two-year-old to the pediatrician, and he had to get two shots. And I just, I was thinking about it. I really hate this spot we're in where, like, we're trying to teach consent and bodily autonomy to children, but at the same time, I do have to hold his hands down while they give him two injections that he doesn't want. And they gave him the first one, and he was fine until he you know, felt it, and then he started crying. And then it's like, okay, and now we got to roll your sleeve up on the other arm and do the, you know, clean it with rubbing alcohol and do another. And at that point, he was really resisting, and it just broke my heart. And yet I know that this is the right thing to do and it'll you know i i'm i'm very pro vaccine pro i mean childhood immunizations but just the experience and he's not he's fine he's not thinking about it now um but i still am and i just it just makes me feel guilty now was he so hesitant because he did his own research (laughs) 
he had done his own research. He was. He's worried. He's been testing various magnets to see if he's now magnetized. He's um, afraid of lizards and people that re- – yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I, you hard. know, I think I think it's okay when they're two. Uh, to be when when you're you're in a doctor's office, you're in a mm-hmm. safe setting. It's for his health. Well, he's almost three, but point still taken. Yes, I think I just it's sort of a head trip for me because I'm your mom. I'm here to protect you, and I don't want to. F- well, but parenthood does involve making them do a lot of things they don't want to do. If it were up to them, I don't know that they would go to school and you know right. and go to bed and take baths and all those things are you a better person now than they were early in the week i am slightly i'm a slightly better person because i had an epiphany i i uh mentioned it a little bit earlier i had an epiphany about email and i was thinking that really even though i'm not about to start doing this having in person or phone conversations would be so much better than doing 99% of my communication via writing. I think that for all of us, you know, I think so many of us are just using email and just using text because it opens the door for people to feel not heard, disregarded, not seen, all these things that I think most humans don't want to feel. Mm. And, and I, it's so stupid, but I'm specifically referring to me sending the email that had two questions, the person writing back, just responding to the first and ignoring the second. So then I had to send another email, but it made me feel like, oh my God, are they not paying attention? Like, do, do I not matter? Like I took, I, I, you know, it just triggered a whole bunch of negative feelings, but the truth is, and this kind of thing happens a million times a day in written communication. I have no idea what she was in the middle of. I have no idea if she even saw the second question. I have no idea if she meant to respond. You know what I mean? Like you can assume the worst. That's usually not at all what it is. And it's, this is not the correct use of the term, but it's almost like little tiny microaggressions that pile up throughout the day that we all are dealing with because so much of our communication is written. You don't really know where the person's coming from. Correct. Yeah, we're only getting like 30% of the message and then filling yeah. in the rest of it. Right. And we do it because it's convenient. It's so much easier than actually, you know, having to pick up the phone. But I think we'd all be better if we went back to it, even though, like I said, I won't. Research shows the more expensive your wedding, the lower the chances of living happily ever after. This is by me. King of good news. Seven years ago, researchers Hugo Mylon and Andrew Francis Tan from Emory University embarked on the first study to determine whether spending a lot on a wedding or engagement ring meant a marriage would succeed or fail. The researchers carried out online surveys with more than 3,000 ever-married people living in the United States. After reviewing the answers to the questionnaire, the researchers learned that spending big bucks on a wedding and engagement ring made a couple more likely to get divorced. The researchers determined that marriage duration is inversely associated with spending on the engagement ring and wedding ceremony. And the king of good news says, if only I knew this 10 years ago. Because <laughs> then you could have brought it up as, yes. a, as a justification for not spending a ton on the wedding. Right. For saving, uh, you know, hey, we can knock this down by 10 G's if we, uh, you know, if we want to stay together. Right. I mean, we could... 
spend a lot of money and end up spending a lot of money again having another one of these weddings with another person, you know? Right. Although I feel like if ever, and I hope I don't, but if ever I were to marry again, I learned so, like there's something wrong with the idea that you just, you know, ideally just have one wedding because there's a learning curve to it. Like I learned so many things about how I would and wouldn't do a wedding the first time. So I feel like I could really go into the second one with like a sense of vendors, a sense of which things are important, a sense of just where to put my time in the planning. It was just a real mess the first time. This is a really fascinating story to me because isn't it like 50% of marriages don't last? I think so. But I didn't realize, I figured that just cut across every sort of group. I didn't realize that there are correlations, you know, economic correlations and things like that. I do wonder why. I wonder why the more you spend, the the uh, less well you fare. My theory that I wrote in the article would was, could it be that people who who put a big emphasis on a flashy wedding and jewelry tend to be a bit more materialistic? It makes sense that couples that are really into keeping up appearances may not have their priorities straight when it comes to building a loving relationship. That is a good theory. That was and I it. think, I think you also theorized that uh, there could be some financial burden that they enter into if they've overspent. Right, and now you're you know you're sixty thousand dollars in debt. Right. Uh, you know, and also a, a wedding. Oh man, like the amount of pain that goes in planning a wedding. Now you have a big, huge wedding and you're starting mm-hmm. the beginning of your marriage with, you know, possibly having a lot of fights over this thing. Right. And then also, you know, it's like, well, we could have bought a house and now we're renting because mm-hmm. we got the expensive chairs, you know? Right. Um,. I, before I got married to my wife, now you tell me whether this makes me an awful person or a decent person, but I stand by my choice. I told my wife, I said, here's the deal. I said, we're going to spend a whole bunch of money uh, on a wedding, and then we're going to go back to our apartment in Redondo Beach. (laughs) I was like, and spending money on rent. When we could take some money, we could put a down payment on a house, um, and then... After that, money, then I said, then I'll be much more open to spending more money on the wedding if I know that our priorities are straight. And, you know, it's kind of the way the housing market was. They were, mm-hmm. the market was really good then to buy a house. And so that's what I said. And then my wife, knowing that, because she wanted to have a wedding, she put me on the strictest budget ever for us to get the down payment <laughs> for the house, where it was like, here's $60 a week for you to live on kind of thing. And, we did that, and then it was like, as the Taoists say, Wu Wei. Everything worked together perfectly because it made everybody scrimp and save for their own reasons. And then mm-hmm. I was happy spending money on the wedding because we already had you know, the house thing taken care of. That I, Okay, I would take on some debt or, or whatever. You know, we've, we've got the, the main thing, and we're in. So we can have fun on the other end of that. I feel like that is really good planning and good teamwork and good budgeting. So I don't think that makes you a bad person. I think that's great. And that shows like how strong your union was that you guys were able to work it out. So you both got what you wanted. Yeah. And you know, we've been married for 10 years and, and I always tell my wife, I said, I would never get remarried because I don't want to plan a wedding again. That was water torture 
It was like 18 months of my wife asking me to have an opinion on things I didn't have an opinion on. You know, it's like, what kind of ribbon should be going down the table? You know, I, I don't know. Like, What uh, my husband and I have found is, in general, if you ask someone their opinion, if they don't have an opinion, once they give, but, but you've pushed them to decide, once they make a decision, then they're invested in that happening. So this is like the wedding chair incident of 2014 between us. We were choosing between two color chairs, white or brown. The brown had like a bit of a glint in the sun. <laughs> and I asked him which he liked better, and he thought white looked better. And then I made the executive decision, it's my day, and I think brown looked better. I was not going to become a bridezilla, and I really think I mostly didn't become one, but... If he were talking to his friends that he doesn't see very often, I think the chair thing would come up. So he was really hurt that I sought his opinion and then decided to just disregard it because, like, I just, you know, dismissed him and his aesthetic opinion. And it was a whole thing because I do something which is not... I don't recommend it, which is sometimes when I ask someone their thoughts and opinions, this goes back to choosing restaurants. I'm like, I just kind of like it was through talking to him that I realized what I really like, <laughs> the thing that he does that that not what he wants. I it think it really helped me. I think that in the back of his brain, he was thinking, oh, man, I just I put a ring on it. Now she knows I'm locked in and now she's just not going to listen to me. She got what she wanted out of me, and now she's just going to steamroller me for the rest of the relationship. There was one great takeaway from the, this story, which the king of good news would like to point out. Please. And that regardless, the most important thing was uh, to have a lot of people at the wedding. So the, the key is do it in your backyard, invite the entire family, invite the entire community. And the more people that attended, the greater chance of you being successful. And they say that's yeah. probably because uh, more of your family and people in the community uh, are invested in your relationship. And also you respect them and they are kind of witnesses to your relationship and that you treat each other well. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the really important takeaway. It's not, you know, how big of a diamond you have. It's not, you know, again, how much you paid for the wooden chairs with a certain glint on them. Uh, in the end, it comes down to people and people yeah. making a commitment. We had a, we had a small wedding with brown chair, incandescent brown chairs. And if I had it to do over again, still would have gotten those chairs, but would have had a lot more people. I'd like to thank everybody for listening to the Upworthy we Weekly podcast. I'd like to thank Allison Rosen for being such a wonderful, wonderful host on the show. And everybody listening, please make sure that you subscribe either on Apple, on Amazon, on Google, on iHeartRadio, on Stitcher, what, uh, whichever is your preferred podcasting service of choice. And of course, leave us a big five-star review. Yeah, it's our favorite number. Upworthy Weekly was produced by Todd Perry. Follow Upworthy on all socials at Upworthy. Allison is on Twitter at Allison Rosen. And Todd at Todd A. Perry. That's Todd with one D. Questions, comments, or to tell us about your amazing week, email us at UpworthyWeekly at Upworthy.com. 
I'm Marley Balin. Have a great week.